Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 4. I'll give you a minute to locate your Bibles. Ephesians 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. I'd like to invite Pastor Jeff to share today's message titled, Daddy Duty. Good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossbridge. Happy Father's Day. There is a show called Bluey that's been pretty popular, not just with kids, but with dads, particularly dads of young kids. It's this Australian children's animated TV show about a blue dog named Bluey, along with her sister Bingo and her parents Bandit and Chili. And it's like awesome because it's like seven minutes long and all the characters have Australian accents. And so each episode of Bluey typically features like a, a game or a scenario that Bluey and her younger sister Bingo are playing. And usually the dad, Bandit, is involved and they're playing together. He's playing with them. And so the show tries to, I think, tries to emphasize like positive parenting, right? portraying Bandit and Chili as loving, involved, and attentive parents who encourage their children's imagination and you know, basically actively spend quality time with them. And it's, you know, I think it's also super popular with dads because you know, some of the things in the episodes are just so relatable. Like there's an episode called Keepy Uppy where the kids are playing a game called Keepy Uppy, which is basically when you try to hit the balloon and, and keep it from touching the ground. I think most of us have done it before. Some of us are still doing it, right? There's still a balloon that's stuck up there, you can see, with a string. Uh, it's been up there for a year, right? And, and in the episode, as the parents are playing, the, the dad pulls a hamstring trying to save the balloon. So super relatable to some of us. And because it's so popular, there's like memes that are created, right? So I like this one. I don't have a dad bod, I have a father figure, which for some of us might be our new motto. Right? We're not working on our dad bod anymore, we're working on our father figure. Or you guys, some of you youth can go to your dads after service, wish them a happy Father's Day, and tell them that, Dad, you have a great father figure. It's clever because I think we're not, we're simply, not simply talking about you know, our father figure, but about being a father figure. Right, whether that's an actual father or maybe a spiritual father. And so this is our passage today. Just one verse, two fathers. One verse talking about our duty as dads, about being a father figure to our children. Now Ephesians 6.4, it's written, uh, it's situated in the context of what is called a household code in Paul's letters. So it's a set of verses that Paul is writing addressing the dynamics of relationships within a home. And that home is, in, in that context, often seen by the wider Greco-Roman society as a microcosm of society. And so Paul is writing these household codes to kind of exhort Christians and believers on how they should live out their faith within these existing social structures. And so for Paul, the church, like us today, the church is a new creation community of believers, but the home, functioning well, living out their faith well, can enable the church as a whole to really be that new creation community, set apart 
and countercultural to the patterns of the wider culture of society. And so Paul juxtaposes these few verses in Ephesians 6, this household code within the larger theme, or against the larger theme in Ephesians, of the conflict between the church and the powers of evil, spiritual warfare. Right? That's the very next section in chapter 6 about the whole armor of God that Paul writes about. So it's as if we're to see how sin and evil have made a devastating impact on human relationships. And even those relationships within the family and inside the home, both before the family or some members of the family have become part of the family of God, and sometimes even after, because we know that sin affects all of us, and we're all in the process of sanctification. And the household code there is there to transform the, the nature of the relationships within the home, within the household. And that transformation can only happen by the power of God and by being filled with the Spirit. And so this sets the backdrop for us this morning as we kind of hone in on just this one verse. What is our duty as dads, for those of us who are dads? What does our father figure look like? And Paul gives two simple commands directly specifically towards fathers about uh, raising children, right? Two commands that are kind of contrasted with each other, with this word but. Don't, don't do this, but do, do that, And so these two commands are going to make up the two points for our message this morning. First, from uh, verse 4, the beginning of verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's the first point. Don't provoke them to anger. Paul is instructing fathers not to treat their children in such a way that will cause them to become angry or embittered. Right? That's what provoke means. Right? When you think about what that word kind of entails, implies it, to make them angry. That you are the cause. You are inciting or stimulating a reaction out of these young ones. You're getting a rise out of them. You're triggering them. Sometimes it might be intentional, but sometimes we know that it's not. But either way, the, the result is that you're stirring up something in them, and that something, that particular emotion that Paul hones in on is anger, expressed in and by, our, by the children. Now, given what we know about kind of the cultural pattern in the society of this, the households in, these, in this Greco-Roman society, we might expect that this command, that Paul would write a command to apply this not to dads, but to children, right? Like, children, don't, don't provoke your parents to anger. Children, don't, like, don't make your dad angry, right? Because the word provoke here... It's interesting that in the Septuagint, which is uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word provoke was used more often than not to refer to the the children of Israel who provoked God, their heavenly father, to righteous anger. They provoked him through their idolatry and rebellion. And so again, we might expect something like, you know, Paul's writing, hey, children, don't make your dad angry. Don't provoke your dad angry. 
to anger. Don't, don't, don't trigger him, right, through your disobedience and through your rebellion. You know, when he tells you not to throw that toy, don't look at him and throw the toy. But actually, Paul has something to say to both sides in all of these household relationships, right? He, so he does tell the children to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He tells the children to honor your father and mother. But at the same time, he has a word of instruction for fathers. Dads have a duty to exercise sensitivity and care and love in how they interact with their children and how they instruct them too. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, this is the, it's interesting because this is the particular emotion that Paul f- focuses on. You know, he could say don't provoke them to you know, other things, right? But he says don't provoke them uh, to anger. And part of that is because anger, in anger we rebel against authority. Right? And I, I think in, in some part there is an authority dynamic here where fathers are coming in to lead and bring up and disciple their children And even earlier, the command to children was to obey, right? Not to submit, like when Paul was talking about husbands and wives submitting to one another. But here, he's telling the children to obey. Obey implies authority in our lives. And that anger sometimes causes us to rebel, to push back against that authority. But I think we need to be clear that this is not a license for us to use it and abuse it against our dads after church, right? Like, I am angry because I am angry, therefore you, dad, are wrong. I don't think that's what this verse is necessarily talking about. Because truthfully, like when we're young, sometimes even when we're old, right, sometimes our emotions easily get the best of us. And sometimes we're, when we're older too, and that's maybe why Paul writes to, to fathers here, to dads here. But when we're young, sometimes we're angry a lot, right? We get angsty or anxious or just easily triggered or sometimes unjustifiably so, but that's just what we're feeling, right? And sometimes it's not really our dads that set us off. They just caught us at a bad time. But here, Paul is cautioning dads to avoid provoking their children to legitimate anger that kind of leads to a rebellion against their authority. And ultimately, we're going to see God, God as well. And I think there are, there are many ways in which sometimes we as dads have done this. And maybe we, young and old, we've seen it in our own fathers growing up. We provoke our children to anger through our overly harsh words, right? Just, just through like really negative criticism, putting, putting them down. Or maybe sometimes we have felt put down before by our own fathers or father figures, right? We provoke our children to anger through yelling. Sometimes, like, we're yelling, and then that just creates this kind of feedback loop where they start yelling too, and then everyone's yelling, right? We provoke our children to anger through excessive punishment. Like, you're, you're grounded for a month, or I'm going to blow up your computer or destroy your Xbox, right? You know, we provoke our children through hypocrisy sometimes. Right Through our own, you know, we're going to tell you to do this, but we ourselves don't always live up to it because we're imperfect. And then our children see that, and then it gets them kind of frustrated or angry. Like, why am I going to listen to you if you don't actually listen to your own words, right? 
We provoke our children to, to anger through nagging, through verbally putting them down. Sometimes we provoke them to anger through our, our own anger, right? Our own kind of reactionary flare-up sometimes, our own lack of control of our own emotions. Like even this, this morning, I'm trying to get out of the house to church, and I'm trying to bring my son, who's a little one, I'm going to drive him, and he, we get to the garage, and he plops down in his little red wagon. He's like, I want to ride this. And I'm like, I need to get to church to preach on this message. <laughs> Please. <laughs> no, but I, I can feel like, oh, my God, don't provoke him to anger. Don't provoke, because I can easily, I'm stronger, I'm bigger, I can just pick him up and just, like, throw him into the car and hold him down as I strap the car seat on him. But what is that going to do? He's going to fight, he's going to yell, he's going to cry, he's going to push his hand up against me and kick me. I'm going to provoke him to anger, and not in a way that is legitimate, right? So thank God I, you know, by God's grace, he listened, and, you know, by God's grace. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. So, so Paul is writing this one verse for dads. The, there are, and there are these verses that come before that also instruct us and inform us uh, about our relationships with our children. He says earlier on, be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another and out of reverence for Christ. Even earlier, Paul writes, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We must first put away the anger in our own hearts in order to not provoke our children to anger. If we're to extend grace and forgiveness, to uh, offer forbearance and patience, all of that comes first from our own experience of God our Father, His loving kindness, His grace and forgiveness to us. So Paul begins with this first command, right? Don't provoke them to anger. Here's the second part of that verse, the second command. But do bring them up in Jesus. So Paul here now, he begins with this negative command, right? And now he be, continues with this positive command. Raise your children to maturity, but to spiritual maturity, right? The word bring up here is the same word as in the marriage verses earlier that where Paul's referring to the same tender and nourishing loving care that believing husbands ought to provide for their partners, their wives. And so fathers, nourish and tend to your children with that same loving care and patience that you ought to show your spouses. The verse here says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the word, uh, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord. And that is the most important key here, right? Paul is giving these household codes, and he's describing how, uh, how faithful Christians should live out their faith in these relationships. This is what a father figure, a dad duty looks like for the believer. I mean, yeah, it can look like bluey at times, right, to some extent. Like we want to be involved. 
We want to be attentive. And when your child is playing and exercising their imagination, you want to be a part of that. Right? Even if you're sleep deprived and you're exhausted, but you, know, you kind of sacrifice. Right? That's what parenting is. You sacrifice. But it's more than that, I think. That's what Paul is getting at here. Because Christian parenting, parenting as believers, as those who follow Jesus, is more than just getting our children to be competent and healthy and mature and emotionally strong and robust adults. It's more than just equipping them with extracurricular activities and helping them to succeed in life with school and jobs and whatever comes their way because we've already went through it. It's more than just loaning the money for food or whatever they need. The NLT, I think, captures Paul's meaning here well. So this translation says, Rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Right? That's what of the Lord really means. The NLT is bringing out that meaning. It's dis- discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And so in bringing up our children, we ought to help them to see that the discipline and instruction with which we are giving them is not ultimately ours. It's God's. It's pointing to the authority that God has. Right? In the same way that when, when Paul addresses the children in verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Or as the NLT captures it again, because you belong to the Lord. It's, it's kind of getting our perspective right. Seeing ourselves in relation to God our Father. So it's not so much when we're discipline, disciplining and instructing our children, hey, do it because I said so. Right? Do it because you live under my house and my rules. Do it because like, I'm funding your education or I'm whatever. Right? But it's going far beyond that towards shaping a motivation in them that is rooted in a love and a respect for Jesus. Now, it's not going to be easy, though, right? I think part of these words that Paul uses helps us understand, hey, it's not easy because this first word, discipline, right? That's the painful part of training. Some of you have run a marathon before, right? That requires discipline. It requires some pain as you kind of push through. It's long-term, not overnight. It takes years. And instruction is the other word that Paul uses. It's kind of referring to verbal counsel, exhortations to proper behavior, even rebuke and correction. And all of it implies resistance, right? When we're rebuking, when we're giving counsel, when we're giving exhortations to live a certain way, to love a certain way. Now, how often have we, you know, tried to discipline and instruct our children. Some of you youth have often have your dad or parents have been try to discipline and instruct you. And we're like, ah, or they're like, no, I'm not having it today. No, that, that's not today. I'm not going to listen today, right? And I think this is why these two parts of verse 4 go so well together. Why the first half also governs the second half. Because we, we will, as dads, we will hit resistance in instruction, But what do we do when we hit that resistance? Do we flare up? 
Do we lose our cool? Do we react unjustly? Do we blow up? Do we ultimately do something, say something, have an attitude of something that will provoke them to anger? Paul, God through Paul, cautions us, no. Our aim is not to provoke them to anger that would lead them to rebel, not just against our authority, but ultimately God's authority. Don't provoke them to anger, but do bring them up in Jesus. Now our aim as fathers is ultimately that they would know and love Jesus and then live like they do. You know, I have a friend who, when his kids were younger, he would tell me that there are only two rules in his household. Now, I haven't tried this out, and maybe I could, and maybe some of you guys can try it out. His two rules are this. Love God, and then do whatever you want. So obviously, right, because we're by nature, nature sinful creatures, and his kids were also sinful creatures, right? The kids think they're smart. And so they respond back to their dad like, all right, I can do whatever I want. So that means I don't have to share my Nintendo Switch with my brother and sister, or I can say things like that, that are going to put them down rather than build them up. How would you respond? How do you think he responded? His response was this, well, if you love God, would you really do those things? Because the idea is that if our desire is for God, first and foremost, that would shape and inform and transform our desires for everything else. Because that's what sin is, right? Augustine talks about how sin is disordered love. The sin is loving things in the wrong order, even if those things in and of themselves are good. But when we got the order all wrong, there's consequences, there's issues. Yeah, I love my new car. I love my new Tesla. I don't have a Tesla, but hypothetically speaking, right, I also love my children, right? If my child kicks a ball and dents my new car, which love will win out? Now, if I love my new car more than I love my children, well, I'm going to respond in a very different way than if those loves were in the proper order, right? So love God and do whatever you want. Loving God comes first. It informs everything else. And that is what our duty as dads is, right? That they would love God first. So that is part of what it means to bring them up in Jesus. That ultimately their desire, their motivation is tied to Jesus, not to us. Because the truth is that as dads, we're not going to be around forever. But Jesus is. And so as we take to heart God's word to us this morning, we seek to nourish our children with a tender, loving care that puts knowing Jesus the ultimate focus of our efforts. And this morning, I have asked one of our Crossbridge brothers, Jim, one of our own CB dads, to, to come up and share about the joys and challenges uh, that he himself has experienced in raising children in the Lord. Now, we all know that you know, there's only one perfect father, God in heaven. But at the same time, I, I do believe that we are still blessed when we hear from one another 
our joys, our struggles, uh, and that we can testify and hear people testify to God's amazing grace in our lives, in our parenting, and in fulfilling our duty as dads. So let me invite Jim up this morning, and let's welcome him. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. So um, I think I'm just going to be mirroring a lot of what, uh, what the other Crossbridge dad experienced as, as dad. So it's, it's really a joy to be able to share with you today. First, a little bit uh, more about me. I'm a dad of three. I have uh, a daughter in college, a son in high school, and a son that's going to high school next year. And with respect to the joys and the challenges, I'll start with joy. So most people, uh, including myself, uh, want a life that matters. They long to do something meaningful. And they want to know what their call is. Um, one of the joys of being a father uh, is knowing my calling and having one that is so important. Uh, Pastor Jeff shared from um, Ephesians 6 uh, the com command to not provoke our children uh, to anger, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, and in addition, uh, Deuteronomy 6 speaks a lot to my heart, where uh, the Lord through Moses makes it clear that one of the most important jobs, give, jobs that God gives to us uh, is to pass on what we know and have experienced of the Lord to our children. So to be God's teacher and shepherd to them, that they might love the Lord and receive eternal life, uh, despite a nature uh, in them and a world outside of them, that every turn uh, seeks to lead them uh, toward the road of self and ultimately destruction. Uh, so, moreover, the fact that God repeats in Deuteronomy 6 that command multiple times uh, suggests that God wants uh, me as a parent to be the primary conduit of tru the truth of who God is to my children. So to, to me, to have such a crucial and important job uh, is a source of joy uh, and fulfillment. The challenge, however, uh, is that it's a hard job. I'm sure as you, was, as you were listening to Pastor uh, Jeff uh, in, in his sermon, you were like, boy, that sounds really hard to do. And I find it, it is a challenge. Um, it's hard to say no uh, to the many competing demands for my time uh, and instead to take the time to do a good job, whether it means drawing close to God so that I have something to share with them about a relationship with God, or uh, maybe learning about parenting, or planning for them, or praying for them, or praying with them, or teaching them, or listening to them uh, and encouraging them. Uh, it's hard to say no to them, when I believe that what's best for them is this, but they disagree uh, sometimes strongly. It's hard to correct them and do it in a way that's more helpful than it is hurtful. It's hard to be patient with them the way God is patient with me. And frankly, as a parent, it's often hard 
to know what the best thing to do is, whether it's to encourage them uh, in this or uh, to discourage them uh, from that, uh, whether it's to expect more from them or to just relax a, li a little bit. A lot of times things aren't clear or, 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 or obvious. Uh, moreover, it's hard to always be guarding my heart and tongue so that I'm speaking the words of the Lord to them and not the words of Satan. And finally, it's hard to live a life uh, that I would want them to emulate. On the contrary, for me personally, it's much easier to please my boss by working more. It's easier to increase my sense of security by developing marketable skills or tweaking and fine-tuning my investment portfolio. Uh, it's easier to increase my sense of value by be be being busy with church work. And it's a lot easier to live a thrilling fantasy life by reading web novels or watching Korean dramas. It's easier to just hope someone else will train my kids up in the Lord. And it's easier to tell them to do what leads to comfort and safety rather than to encourage them to pursue God's purposes for them. But teaching my kids who God is, is a wonderful job that I've been given by God. So with fear and trembling and joy, I daily ask God to give me the strength to do that job well. I ask God and them to forgive me when I fall short. Uh, and by grace, I pick myself up and keep on going when I do. And over the years, God has given me another joy. Uh, that is to see the fruit that only God can create uh, as I do my part, uh, to see that they know the Lord uh, and desire to please him, to see the fruit of the Spirit growing in their lives, the way they pray for and care uh, for their friends and neighbors and are willing to make sacrifices for God at their own expense. And growing, uh, and, and to see them growing to be the people that God made them uniquely to be. Little images of God with their unique gifts, passions, and personalities, who are, and I know will be, a blessing to the world. And my, while my job will never be fully complete while I live, seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in them gives me great joy and hope that my labor is not in vain and that, my life, that in my life I will have done something that matters. Thanks. Thanks, Jim, for your honest sharing. I'm sure many of us can relate to and resonate with a lot of things that you shared this morning. As our presider, Janet, pray this morning, you know, Father's Day can be tough for some of us, for those of us who may not have had a great relationship with our fathers or may not have had one at all, or you know, for, for some of us, maybe our dads aren't here this morning. But at the same time, we are reminded of our Heavenly Father, our God, our Father in Heaven, who is perfect, who is good, and is always gracious and loving to us, to let us, at the same time, fix our, fixate our eyes on Him, in the meantime, while, you know, we may have surrendered to our dad bod, you know, for those of us who are dads, let us continue to work on our father figure, striving not to provoke our children to anger, 
but to bring them up in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you because of your forgiveness to us, because of your goodness and your faithfulness and and all the ways in which you have blessed us and showed us love. We pray that we would continually meet with you and, and, and see you and that that would be a great motivation for us as we, for those, particularly for those of us who are parents and those of us who are fathers, spiritually or biological, to, to raise up these children, this next generation in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.